Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. Today, we have Kristen. Kristen is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified alcohol and drug counselor in the state of Maine. She currently works in community mental health as a program supervisor as well as an outpatient therapist during the week. But on the weekends, you can find her on TikTok and Instagram breaking down the stigma of mental health by being her authentic self and sharing educational and fun content. Let's get right into this conversation. It was fun. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have not your average therapist, Kristen, here. And as you see, there's a trend going on. I have a mix and match of therapists, of uh, dietitians, of wellness coaches, of all different walks of life. Um, And in the beginning of season two, we had Lindsay Fleming on, who is also very involved on TikTok and does great as and also is great as a therapist, hopefully. I don't really know her. I really hope so. And Kristen also is really involved on TikTok. And I want to give the opportunity to see how that balance is, right, between being a therapist on TikTok and promoting mental health in a different way. So Kristen, not to steal your thunder, can you please introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, my name is Kristen Garrick. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and a certified alcohol and drug counselor. Um, I'm located in the state of Maine, so kind of way up there on the East Coast. Um, I work in community mental health. Um, so I work with individuals with severe and persistent mental illness, um, high poverty, high traumatic backgrounds. Um, I specialize in co-occurring, which is where substance use and mental health collide. Um, that's, that's kind of like my little niche, but yeah, I'm happy to be here. And just so people know as well, I used to work in a community clinic for about almost two, almost three years, between two and three years. I don't know the exact two and how many months. Um, and there is something special about it that I miss and don't mm-hmm. miss at the same time. So the pro and the and the thing that I miss the most, and maybe we could talk about this a little bit about the world that you work in, because I think it's also amazing to talk about the job that you do and to mm-hmm. let people know and aware that there are other people going to therapy that are not paying out of pocket and paying 300 to $600 and still need it, right? The money doesn't matter. It's about the people that come. And that, that was the beauty of working in a community clinic is that I walked, I work with so many people, different types of people. We saw all walks of life from children mm-hmm. to, to older adults. My oldest client was 74. My youngest client was eight. Mm-hmm. And it was all ranges of diagnosis. Not the diagnose matters when it comes to the treatment that I care about the person. But of course it matters for billing and all that wonderful stuff that pays the bills. But in the end, the con was how overworked I was and the, the intensity of it and, mm. and the, um, the burnout that it can cause. I was seeing 47 people a week, almost 50 people a week sometimes. Um, that's just not sustainable, which then in turn hurts the people who need the mm-hmm. therapy. So what is your uh-huh. experience working in a community nonprofit organization or company? Yes. So I've been at my position for Um, a little over five years now. Um, Last year, two weeks before the pandemic hit, I actually took a promotion. So I went from being a full-time outpatient clinician to I I scaled down my caseload to about five clients actually, and I became a program supervisor. So I oversee all of the other clinicians and case managers um, at my office. And it it is hard work. Yeah. Not that not that private practice or any other type of therapy is hard work, but 
um, because you see all, all different backgrounds, um, again, where I work, um, we have a lot of high, high trauma that we see. Um, and so we're working with families who have generational trauma, who are still living in trauma. Um, and, uh, when I was doing it full time, I had a caseload of 50 people, um, while running groups. So I ran a group at the same time. Um, so it can be very quick to kind of burn at both ends. You're, you're like uh, triggering my, the memories of, of, of the time I was there. And I really do miss my clients there because they were, they didn't have any other support, mm. you know? And, and I think that's something that's forgotten. And mm. I know this is that was something we discussed. We were going to talk about, but I think it's important to bring it up therapist to therapist. I think it's really important that uh, sometimes when you work in private practice or you work in certain areas that are more high social, socioeconomic areas, they have other supports, hopefully, mm. usually, normally. When you work in the in the in the communities that are struggling and are suffering, sometimes mm. you are their only hope. I know it sounds like Star Wars over here, um, but in the end, it's true. And mm-hmm. they rely on you for that letter for something. How do mm-hmm. I deal with Medicaid? How do I deal with this? How do I get this? How do I have food? How do I have money? All that stuff. And as a therapist, you're not really trained in that in school. Mm-hmm. One really talks about that a lot about here are the amazing organizations in the world that help with everything. And as a therapist, we don't know everything. We don't know. Sometimes we don't know a lot of things mm-hmm. might know a lot about certain things. So when someone comes to you and they need answers to everything, it takes a lot of patience, a lot of taking a step back and asking for help as a therapist to other people and referring mm-hmm. and questioning and learning and growing Sometimes it's hard when you have 50 clients asking you 50 different things that you have to do. And uh, yeah. it's an amazing work. Really. I, yeah. I, I commend you. I admire that. I want private practice because I was tired of it. I mm. needed space. And right now I'm tired of being a private therapist sometimes because it's still very hard because mm-hmm. therapist is hard. How did you get into therapy? What brought you into that world? Because that's a question I ask all therapists because we all have a reason. <laughs> so it's really, um, it's, it's kind of a funny story because I never wanted to be a therapist. That wasn't my plan. So basically um, you hate people. <laughs> no, no I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite say I'm that, kidding. but I definitely, um, so in high school, um, I had a friend who, um, took their own life and it really impacted me, um, because, um, I had made some videos around this, but the last interaction we had wasn't great. And, Um, It really impacted me for a very long time. And then my senior year in high school, I took a psychology class and I was like, I love this. Why do people do the things that they do? And I kind of, I wanted answers for my, like, why, why did this happen to my friend? Um, Why do people do the things that they do? And so I decided, I was like, I'm going to go get my bachelor's degree in psychology. I want to, I want to learn no plan on what I wanted to do afterwards. So I got my bachelor's degree in psychology And then I was like, oh, you can't do a ton with a bachelor's degree in psychology. There's a limited window. So I was like, what am I going to do next? And I was like, if I don't go back to grad school, I'm never going to go back. So I decided to get um, my master's in clinical social work because I felt like what that encompassed was what I wanted to do. So I ended up going to the University of New England here in in Maine. Um, I got my master's in clinical social work. 
And again, like I, I kind of switched my dream to working with veterans or individuals who struggled, um, who were victims of sexual assault. Uh, that's what I wanted to work with. So I graduated and I took, I took a job, um, working with kids and I was there for two weeks and I was like, no, not, not my dig. Um, and I just needed a job, honestly, like being completely transparent. I needed a job and there was a, there was a job posting for an outpatient clinician at an agency in my area. And I interviewed and I got it. And I was like, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to hate it. Um, so I got it and I started and six months in, I was like, I did like this reflection. I was like, I was made for this. Like, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. Um, and what I've was the, been what there. Was that moment? How, how was that moment for you to, to like go from, I'm never going to be a therapist. Then all of a sudden going down the track. And then all of a sudden you have this random job that you fall into, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that karma, God, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, whatever you believe in. And, um, and you're like, oh, like you feel fulfilled. You feel whole. Mm. It was, I think it was just a culmination of the clients that I was working with at the time, the people I was working with. Yeah. Um, I had some big wins yeah. with clients out that they are my wins, but no, my clients saying. had some big wins. It's your win too. And, you you worked damn was, hard. And it was just this moment of like, damn, I was made for this. Like, this is this, like, why did I not want to do this? Um, you know why I, I think, you know, it, it, not that it's funny. I find it interesting that most therapists have a story. My story was I've always had ADHD. I went to therapy as a kid. My family had some stuff and we went to family therapy. I've gone through things in my life that brought me to therapy. And it was this idea that I, I, st- I wanted to find out what made people think, do, feel, mm-hmm. It was always a search of mine, always. And I was always an empathetic, caring person. And I, I took that one psychology class, you know, and it's like, <laughs> that's it. Right. Even yeah. though there are so many myths and misconceptions about what therapy truly is, what psychology truly is. I'm not tinkering with people's minds and making mm-hmm. them do things. I'm not hip. And, and there is hypnotherapy, but I'm not doing that. I'm not going to make them, you know, leave their husband or their wife or cause them or make them do things because. I'm a responsible ethical therapist. Yeah. There's some people that feed off the vulnerability and do that. And there are some scary stories, of course, mm-hmm. but therapy as a whole is sitting with another person and being there with them and mm-hmm. helping them through that moment of being human and mm-hmm. helping them guide them through the navigation of being human. And, uh, and of course, you know, I, I know I can say this because I've said it before and I'll say it to you because you're a therapist. I love trauma. Mm. I know it's a very weird statement. And if you're not yeah, a therapist but I get or it. you have gone through trauma, I do not mean it in a dismissive, disgusting way. I love working with trauma because I feel as a person, as a therapist mm-hmm. who's trained, I'm trained in TFCBT, trauma-focused CBT, mm-hmm. being that person for that other person and helping them through that to see that there is light, hopefully, mm-hmm. that moment is what I was created for. Yeah. And, and yeah. that to me is when I hear you say, I sat there and I went, this is what I'm supposed to do. I totally feel that way. And there, of course, let's clarify for a second. There are moments where you're like, why am I a therapist? This is really, oh yeah, 100%. this is really damn hard. And you cry and you get emotional and you get frustrated. And you know, we're going to lead into the next conversation, which is being authentic. Sometimes I do not like working with some clients because it's hard. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't like them. 
The work is hard. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's stressful. It plays on your mind. It plays on your heart. Mm-hmm. But I love what I do. Yes. 100%. I agree with that 100%. Like it's um, being able, uh, again, I work, I work in high poverty, very rural, very rural Maine. And sometimes just being able to show up for someone. Which um, never had, by that, the way, in their life. They might have never yeah. had that in their life. Someone showing up. Especially like with kids. So some self-disclosure, my parents divorced when I was little and I, we, they sent us to a therapist. And I just remember like being so like confused and scared in that moment. And that this woman like showed up and let us be who we were. Like I remember my, we played, I don't know, it was probably some version of the ungame um, that we played as kids. And I remember my brother, um, the therapist, one of the questions was like, what's one thing that you want to say to your dad right now? And my brother, who is three years younger than me, so I was probably like nine or eight. And so he was like six or five, looks at my dad and goes, you're an asshole. Just, and, and, and being able to have the space where my brother was able to say that. And, and we don't know where it came from. Like, even just looking back, like we joke about it now, but she allowed us to have that space to express and like being now, like being that person that allows my kids and my teens to be, to be authentically who they are and, and not have to hide pieces away. Mm. Um, they get to come to my office and show up and I show up for them. And I think that that's, that's such an important job, um, for us. If only, um, and if I, only we got paid a lot more for it, right? I know. And right. <laughs> I, th- I think it's just, it's so important. It, so. Is. it really is. And, you know, let's jump right into the, that, that connection to what we want to talk about today. Um, and the main thing is the boundaries of authenticity. Mm. It's a fancy thing. We're going to make that the title of the podcast, the boundaries of authenticity, because being authentic is beautiful and wonderful. It's the ideal, it's the hope, mm-hmm. it's the dream that you can embrace who you truly are in the full majesty of mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. But with that comes a lot of maybe backlash, hate. Um, sometimes it's not okay or safe to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't know how to be authentic. But in the end, there needs to be this, this fence that we create to protect ourselves, but also still live within our comfort zone to be able to share that. Now, mm-hmm. I've told this story, and I, I started off season two with this story that one time when I was growing up, I was uh, like 18, and I was uh, studying abroad. I was being really authentic, uh, energy, high energy, excitement, like I said, ADHD, all over the place. And someone looked at me and said, and I hate this word, said, are you retarded? Why do you have so much energy? And it crushed me because I was being mm-hmm. authentic. I was excited. We were on a hike. We were on a trail. We were just a lot of energy going on. I know I've used energy about 18 times right now, the word, and it crushed me and it made me think that I need to close off and hide that authenticity, to hide that vulnerability, to hide that self and to protect and to Mm. calculate when, how, who. Mm. So can we talk about a little bit? Can we delve into, and of course, I'm not like that anymore. I learned my lesson, taught me a Mm. great lesson about that. I need to be who I am. And if they don't want to, if they don't like it. Mm-hmm. They can go suck a lemon. Um, that was a nice way of saying. Um, <laughs> I, I like it. <laughs> what does authenticity mean? Mm-hmm. That's the first question. Like, how do you show up authentically mm-hmm. um, in a safe, protective way where you're not 
oversharing. You're not being too much. You're being safe and careful um, mm-hmm. at the same time as not um, hiding yourself because mm-hmm. there has to be a balance. Yeah, I, I definitely. Yeah. I mean, authenticity is just showing up exactly as who you are in all your flaws, in all your perfects, like all of it and, and being exactly who you are without wearing, um, Brene Brown says it, a 10,000 pound shield of perfection, um, without kind of pretending to be something that you're not. Um, it is all about just being you. And, and that is amazing. And, and to be able to get to that place, um, I'm 29 now and I'm just starting to get to that place of really being authentically who I am. Um, I mean, I, I spent a long time not being that and out of fear, out of a lot of things. I was going to ask why, what, 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 of, what was it? Out of fear, um, out of safety, out of non-acceptance out of not having the skills, this is, I think the big piece, not having the skills to cope with the backlash. Mm. Because and, when you're your true self and you're being real or, or honest about something, there there is a line. Well, I'll ask the question later about what that line is about being inappropriate, just because mm. being authentic doesn't give you the right to be nasty and disgusting and hateful and mm-hmm inappropriate right mm-hmm. that's being that's not smart right mm-hmm. about being authentic so we'll talk about that line later but i love that the fear and for me it was the fear of judgment mm-hmm. right the fear of haters the fear of mm-hmm. what will they think so what skill right you said the skill yeah um i would say a lot of my skills are distress tolerance skills like that's a big piece um and i really had to embody that Someone else's opinion of me is does it is not a reflection of how I have to feel about myself. Um, someone someone else's opinion of me, I don't have to take on. Um, I'm I'll probably end up quoting her like 40 million times. I love Brene Brown, love her. Um, she talks about should. I know she talks a lot about um like post-it note friends. And you write down a list of the people whose opinions matter to you. And if you don't have that person on your list, that person's opinion does not mean anything. Um, And so I really had to embody that. And really, and now being on social media, (laughs) I joked with a friend, I take screenshots of hate comments to use in videos because I just think they're funny at this point because they're writing a hate comment. I get a lot about my tattoos on my, on my chest and my arm, um, I get a lot because I have a a crooked smile sometimes. And I'm like, you have no idea who I am. And so that takes, I think that takes a lot of self-work and a lot of self-esteem work to get to that point. There would be a time in my early twenties, like 19 year old Kristen, if you would have said, oh, you had a tacky tattoo, it would have ended my day. Mm -hmm. I would have like ruminated on that all day, it would have destroyed my day. And I probably would have cried for three days afterwards because you said that about me. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, seriously? Okay, that, thank you. That. Thank you. Next. Thumbs up. Um, but yeah, I think um, it's having the skills to be able to, to tolerate a negative comment and not internalize it. Mm. 
um, and, and really kind of put that back. So if you came here and you said something negative about me, I can pull that in. I can catalog it in myself and say, okay, like, what is this? Where is this? And then kind of say, well, that's his opinion back on you. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that opinion. So I'm not going to hold on to it. So then, then this leads to the question that I was, I was touching upon before and, and, and the idea of that line between authenticity and being inappropriate mm-hmm. in, in the world of social media that we have today, um, good or bad, which is a longer conversation. Everyone has an opinion, whether it's political, religiously, whether it's how someone looks, how someone's acting, how someone's behaving, all that stuff. <sighs> Just it's a that was a cleansing breath um, mm-hmm. of how much people hate on other people for being themselves, and when someone pushes back and goes, "Why are you saying that?" Well, I'm being myself. I'm being true to my opinion. I'm being honest. That's just my view of things. That's just me. So either you can take it or leave it. So yeah. when is authenticity bleeding into inappropriateness or being mm-hmm. hateful or being nasty? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the person believes they're authentic because you said like, well, it's their opinion. What if they're right? Mm-hmm. What if you're doing something inappropriate and someone says, well, that's just their opinion. And then you go through life just believing that you're right because I'm just being authentic. Mm-hmm. So where's that balance where we can kind of create a, a healthy insight into creating good, healthy authenticity and mm-hmm. the unhealthy authenticity? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's being authentic doesn't give you a free pass to be be a, um, a jerk doesn't give you a free pass to be hurtful. Um, I think that there are ways to be, whether it's being authentic and you're giving feedback, like there are ways to give feedback to other people, um, that aren't you being a jerk. I am, I am authentic in the capacity that I am a direct person. Um, I don't beat around a bush because that doesn't work for me. That's not me living kind of authentically to myself, but I use its tone of voice, body language. Like if I'm coming and I'm saying, and I am aggressive about it, like that's going to, that's going to come across in a certain way. Um, I also fall back on, is this harmful or is this helpful? Would I say, especially on the internet, would I say this to this person's face? Would I, what am I getting out of saying anything? Um, And I also think being the person who might get that kind of fallback, if like, if someone is trying to be authentic, but it's more like just mean, being able again to take that on and say, no, that's not. And being able to hold them accountable and say, hmm. That, that actually really hurt mm-hmm. um, and being able to have that dialogue. Because there is this movement of people saying, well, that's my truth. Mm-hmm. And and part of me, you know, and I'm going to disclose for a second and my wife's going to laugh at me. I used to hate Bachelor and Bachelorette and uh, my wife loves it and her family loves it. And of course, I watched it to connect with my wife and be there and just I was spacing out. Now to admit, honestly, I can't get enough of it. It's just a train wreck. And as a therapist relationship, I do a lot of relationship work and I sit there Mm -hmm. and go, oh, if only they had a therapist in the show, I can help them with this and the other thing. There'd be so many more couples back to the bachelorette nation. If you're listening, hire me. 
But in the end, something I hear so often, specifically on the bachelor, when the, when there are women, you know, fighting for this one man, right. That's the bachelor. Um, yeah. Everyone. Well, that's my truth, my truth. Mm-hmm. And they use that word so much, but in the same sentence, their truth is negativity, nastiness, and disgusting uh, jabs at each other mm-hmm. or totally skewed of reality of what mm-hmm. actually happened, mm-hmm. but it's my truth. So you need to mm-hmm. take it, deal with it. My truth. So that word I think is used a lot. And even authenticity is used as a fallback of, well, you got to deal with it because I'm being authentic. I'm being myself. I'm mm-hmm. being true to who I am. Mm-hmm. And sometimes one of the things that I love being a therapist is that I can be very blunt with people and be like, excuse me, I, I, I'm, I'm very proud that you're being authentic, but that's inappropriate or that's unhealthy or that's this, that, and mm-hmm. the other thing. And, you know, I haven't jumped into this world, which you have, which is TikTok. Um, what, what brought you onto TikTok? Opening yourself up to the world of comments and sometimes it's a joke I say to my friends, like, I wish I had haters because at least people would be watching or seeing something. But, you know, the world of TikTok, which is a hotbed for my truths mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. quote unquote authentic selves, ripping people mm-hmm. apart and commenting. How is that? How'd you get into it? How does that feel putting yourself out there in a, such a vulnerable way? Yeah, I, I think I got into it as most people did. I was bored at the beginning of quarantine. I was actually on TikTok a month before I started making Ooh. videos. And I had, I had made videos that weren't even mental health related first. And I tell her, I have already told her this, but it was actually Lindsay who I found first. She was the first TikTok therapist that I found. And I like started following her and I was like, Oh, this is actually like really cool. Like I could do this. So I started doing it. And then I found a lot of the other TikTok therapists and all downhill from there. Um, and now I'm in a we're going to call it an addiction, 100%. Um, And I just thought like, this is a way to break down stigma, to break down these ideas of what a therapist is, what what therapy is, while also having fun while doing it and making things that are relatable and understandable. Um, And it's hard. And it was hard at first because I even catch myself doing it now where I'll make a video 15 times because I've messed up or I've done. That's why I stopped making videos. I did it like two or three times where it was just 15, 20 times of me messing up. And I'm like, okay, I'm tired. I need to stop this. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And I've, um, I think the ones I make the most are the talking ones. I end up redoing because I am not a public speaker. For some reason, when I'm doing this, my speech is fluid. My speech is, is all of that. But when I, you put a, like a TikTok in front of me, I suddenly like cannot speak. And I'm like stumbling over my words. Um, but I was like, this is cool. This is great. And I started off and it, I had 100 followers. And then I had 500. And I was like, 500 isn't a lot of people. Like, that's okay. Um, and then... I had a couple of viral videos and it put me up to like 75,000. And I was like, Oh, okay. And now, and now I'm at like almost 300,000. And I think as you get a little bit larger and especially viral videos, um, 
you, it opens that door to people's opinions of you who have no idea. And a lot of times the people who don't even follow you who have the opinions of you, that's my favorite. Um, but it was really like, okay, how can I show up and be myself? Because I would say I'm about 80% the same as I am on TikTok as I am in my own therapy practice. There's a little bit more structure in my therapy practice because for obvious reasons, but as far as authenticity, like I am pretty much the same person. I'm the same person on TikTok as I am in real life. Um, and it's just kind of just showing up and just saying like, here is a human and I am, I am the same as every single other person. Um, one of the things I always fall back on with a lot of my clients is there's not a lot that is different between me sitting here and me sitting in the chair that you're sitting in. So true. And, and I think that the, I might get some flack from this from the therapy world, but I'll say it anyways. I think the view of modern therapists, right. That we, that I, I like to call myself. I know you call yourself that, um, and a lot of younger I'm also, I'm also 29, almost turning 30. Um, and so I think the younger generation of therapists coming up right now, this world of modern therapists, the old school, I'll describe that for a second, which I think is what all the stereotypes of therapy of like, how does that make you feel? Sit on my couch, Freudian, um, were put on a pedestal of being perfect gods, Mm. goddesses, Mm -hmm. this statue of perfection and togetherness and -hmm. you couldn't question them whatever they said went they didn't disclose anything they didn't divulge anything it was this solid rock that you came in and they just you talked and they said hmm and you feel what and 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 there is a there is a pro and con to doing that at some points right leading and getting them to say something and not jumping ahead and putting your spin on something and giving the client slash patient Mm -hmm. wherever you work with, with and how you refer to your people you work with, the humans you work with, there is a place for that. But I think there's a new generation, which I love to call myself, which is a modern therapist, Mm -hmm. where there is this combination of therapy coaching going on, right? This crisscross of therapy coaching kind of thing. And there is this uh, ability to share being a human experience. It doesn't mean that I'm now going to tell you my address. It doesn't mean I'm going to tell you what fight I had with my wife the night before. It doesn't mean I'm going to tell you my innermost darkest secrets, but it does mm-hmm. mean that I, if I went through some a hard thing and I'm going through something rough and I'm not myself, I will let you know, Hey, I, by the way, just a uh, FYI, I call all my clients, Bob and Bobette, just as a re- reference. I have no clients so far that are Bob at all. So I there say, Bob, Bobette, you know, I'm really not, I'm not hundred percent today. I hope, you know, and, or I just, I let them mm-hmm. in to a little mm-hmm. bit to who I am because it makes a connection. Yes. And that to me is the beauty of TikTok, of, yes. of Instagram, the beauty of reels. And the fact that you can be like, you call yourself a no BS therapist. Yes. Yeah. I stalked your account. Cool. Um, okay. Not really, not really. Uh, I do a little diving into the person that I'm working with uh, is the ability to show up who you mm-hmm. are and mm-hmm. Because I think when therapists are put on that pedestal, are looked up to as these beings of, a, of awesomeness, um, it can really, it can hurt the therapeutic process because in the end, when they finally find out that they're just human, that crushes them. 
But yeah. if you if you're starting off on the same le- level, and the fact that you said, I love that you said that, the difference between where I am and you are is not that different. Yeah. The couch or on the seat or where the position is. And I think for us to be more honest, like I said, does not mean you have to then tell every single detail of your life. It just means you show up who you are. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And which is what brought me to your account. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think I always describe, this is how I always describe myself when clients come in. I said, I said that I am not this type of therapist. But if no one and, can see her, she's wearing glasses oh, and sorry. writing on a script. <laughs> and that there is a there are clients out there who need kind of that old school type therapy. Good for them. 100 percent Because I always say, like, I get these comments all the time on my videos. They're like, oh my God, I wish you could be my therapist. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I bet you you would hate me. <laughs> like, I bet like. There are so many different types. And I love that about therapy is, is there's so many different types. There's so many different approaches. And like you said, like this kind of modern therapist where, where we're not scared to self-disclose when clinically appropriate, we are not scared to say, Hey, you know what? I'm not doing, I'm not, I, I was sick last night. I'm, I'm a little bit recovering today. So I want to let you know, I'm like I'm working at like 90% kind of giving that that vulnerability and i think even on tiktok and instagram i disclose more than i would disclose in like a therapy session of course because again it shows clients like i talk all the time that i struggle with anxiety but you will not see me give up my coffee <laughs> like 100% like do you think that i forget to use my coping skills do you not think that I was up till 2 a.m. scrolling TikTok when I should have been asleep? Because I'm human. Yeah. Um, I have. I, but I got called out once about that, by the way. Yeah. There was one time. So one of the things that I tried, and I, maybe you can speak about this, about the, the authenticity of social media and being a therapist, which is a whole nother world and such a great area. Um, because my social media under my therapy name is not my therapy practice. It is just my Instagram handle, Ellie Weinstein underscore LCSW. It's just who I am. It is my name. My personal one is where I follow a billion people and stalk their accounts like celebrities and all those things. And it has nothing to do with my business. And I do not invest and put any time into that because that's just my way of like following and people that I, I can just scroll through without it being uh, so curated and, and mm-hmm. uh, specific, right? Mm-hmm. Some, some goal, which my Ellie Weinstein account is. I disclose struggles of being a parent. I post pictures of my child and my Mm. wife and me. I don't just have the curated, beautiful taglines. And I tried so hard not to feel pressured into doing that, into just posting those, be what you want to be when you want to be it. Mm -hmm. That a boy. And like those, those, those tagline kind of pictures with the beautiful artwork and everything. And I do post that. I do do that on certain days and sometimes, and when I feel like it, and there's an idea that I want to share. And one time someone, a few people called me out. Oh, you should stop talk, sharing about your daughter. That's inappropriate. This is your practice. You wouldn't have a picture of your daughter in your office. Actually, I would. I would have a picture of my family in my office. Yeah. That's who I am. Do I think that now, and also I know the clientele that I'm going to be working with, I'm not worried that they're going to stalk my family. And if mm-hmm. they will, I'll take care of that. Mm-hmm. But I think there's this pressure of the curated therapist accounts, which I love as well. Mm-hmm. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. 
And to show up authentically on social media means being who you are. Now, like I, I love that you said, I'm 80% who I am on social media. And I love that. Be it. Do it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you're going to get hate, but you're doing something important and helpful for others, amazing. Yeah. And I think there is this mentality of like, you're a therapist. You shouldn't be talking about this on social media. My wife and I went through infertility. We talk about our, my, I talk about my infertility journey. Mm-hmm. We went through this, that, and the other thing. I talk about that because, oh, you're a therapist and you have things. Mm. You're giving insight into a real human thing because you're a therapist and have some backing behind it. That's great. This could be helpful. You're not just a mm-hmm. random Joe Schmo. You are a therapist who also has things and you're giving perspective. Yes. And that's I, why I love your account because you're not an average therapist. You're a therapist who's being real and honest, a modern therapist mm-hmm. who doesn't have BS. Mm-hmm. But I think the average therapist isn't promoting and talking about things on social media and probably they're barely on social media. So good. Yeah. And I, it's just like this whole journey has been, has been crazy because it's, it's, how do I, how do I show up and how do I get my message across while still, while not making therapy a joke? I think that's important too. I love that. I like, love that. Cause it's not a joke. It's not. It's one hundred percent. You can do a cutesy not. dance on TikTok and do some random. Like I always do, like the hands post pointing somewhere. Like that's yep. the classic thing. You're not. You're trying to, you know, cheat the algorithm and create. You know, and do use the the fun things that help you get seen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't and mean the therapy's a joke. And I think it's important where where it allows that cutesy stuff gets that foot in the door. How many? I get so many comments a week that say. I started therapy because of the TikTok therapist. I started therapy because of you. I finally, I ghosted my therapist last year and I reached out to her because I saw your video. Um, how many comments I get? I just actually posted a video that was like, where I, I disclose all the time. I'm in therapy. I love my therapist. She puts up with my, she puts up with me. Thank God. Um, and people like all the time are like, therapists go to therapy. What? I'm like, Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about my A score? Like, I, I just, like, I'm like, it's this idea that like, because we're therapists, we have our whole lives together. I'm like, again, I yelled at my husband the other night. Like I have skills and I use them. I cried last night. You know, I got overwhelmed yeah. and I cried last night. I just got, yeah. I got very overwhelmed about a long day. I was seeing 10 clients back to back and it just got to me. Yep. And I cried to my wife that it was just, I had an overwhelming day and there mm-hmm. are other things going on in my life, but I might not tell that in my therapy session where I come into the first day that my first client and go, Oh, by the way, I cried last night. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, but <laughs> that's that, but that is being authentic. But you know, yeah. just to wrap up, because, you know, we could talk about this for forever because mm. you're so easy to talk to and, and um, have so much to bring to the table. Can you give, and I, oh, this is my, always my ending question. Mm. And, I, and I, I, I joke around. I hope this is not true, but if, if no one listened to anything else that we talked about, and you're only listening to the last couple of seconds or minutes of the, ther- of the, of the uh, podcast, what would be two things that you would give advice on when it comes to how to show up authentically in your life? And please listen to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Don't fast forward 40 minutes in. Yeah. Um, I would probably say. If you're, if you're starting to, if that's something, if that's a journey you want to start, start with writing down three names, three names of people who you can be you with, 
who you can begin to crack that door to and start there. Because if you go and you blow that door wide open, that's great. Could work, right? But think of throwing yourself into a pool when you can't swim. It'll probably, you'll probably get some, you'll probably get burned and not want to do it. And you're going to be like, nope, done. Yeah. Start out small. Start out with those three people or one, even if you have one, where you can be yourself and be your true authentic self. Start there. And then my second piece of advice is what do you have to deconstruct? That's what I'm doing right now. I am deconstructing some ideas that were put in my head as a child. Um, and I've spent my twenties kind of deconstructing. And now, honestly, in the past six months, I've had some revelations of like, why don't I dress this way? Because it's how I was told to dress at 16. Mm -hmm. This actually isn't really like, it's comfortable. And I like the stuff that I'm buying, but I'm like, it doesn't quite fit what I want. Yeah. And kind of start doing those small things for yourself too. Like, is there, is there an idea I have to deconstruct and slowly enter? Um, I just got the rest of my shoulder tattoo done because my entire life, it was more like have tattoos you can hide because they're not, you don't, you don't want people to see your tattoos. And then I was like, you know, like this actually, like when I got this, this made me feel more like me than anything in my entire life. Amazing. Amazing. And I I think that idea uh, to deconstruct it is something I was thinking about to bring up at the end of the, uh, is that sometimes people don't don't even know their authentic self because Mm -hmm. it's been hidden or it's been pushed down or it's been told not to. So deconstructing means starting to learn that who you are. And I don't mean to go extreme and rebel to anything against what you feel comfortable. I don't mean rebel against anything, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about that, but rebel against your nat- your nature to go so extreme that now you learn the middle. What mm-hmm. I'm saying is do little things that feel comfortable or maybe push that comfort zone to test it, to figure mm-hmm. out, travel, meet new people, do things that you normally maybe not- might not do that you might not be uncomfortable with to find what yourself is, not what yes. someone else's view of yourself is or what others' opinions are of who you are, which is classic CBT therapy, classic labeling, <laughs> all the things we're talking about. Kristen, where can people find you? Where can they kind of reach out to you? Tell us all your handles, all your stuff, everything. You're yeah. On. Yeah. I'm pretty much only on TikTok and Instagram. So you can find me at, at not your average therapist, but therapist is spelled T-H-R-P-S-T. Ooh, fancy. Um, yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram um, and TikTok. Um, TikTok, you can see me doing some fun dances. Not really. More point. I'm a more pointer. I can do the YMCA. That's about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm Amazing. on those, and and I'm always I'm always making new content. Thank you so so much for coming on to today's podcast. Really appreciate it, and uh, wish you the best of luck for helping more people and destigmatizing therapy. I think it's so important. Thank you. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. 
and I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast, because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.